Father, I, I give you thanks that you have preserved artifacts and places in the nation of Israel that we might go and see and be able to be convinced that your word is true. The things that you have said have come to pass and the things in the future we are confident that they will as well. But Father, as we look back in the book of Acts and the things that are in here, help us to establish our doctrine, what we believe. Help us to understand who you are, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And pray, Lord, if we lack understanding in these areas, that you would enlighten us, that you would give us wisdom and insight, so we might proclaim who you are to whoever we run across. And we thank you that you have blessed our fellowship, Lord, that you would also bless our fellowship with you, your Holy Spirit. Teach and guide, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we have talked about the prophets. Do they exist today? And how do we know if somebody who claims to be a prophet is indeed a prophet? We've also looked at fasting last week, and the other thing we're going to look at here in this section of Scripture is the Holy Spirit, and I want to read it just to give the context. In the church at Antioch, verse 1, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they have fasted and prayed, they place their hands on them and set them off. And so these are the things I just wanted to park a little bit and go over, like I said, the prophets and fasting, and now it's going to be the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look just a little bit. We're going to back up just a hair on who God is. God is an individual. He's one, but there are three that represent God. And this is a hard concept that people misconstrue who God is. And we have to ask ourselves the question, do we really know who God is as he is apportioned to us in Scripture? Because we, we have fragments, so to speak, of who God declares himself to be. Now, have you ever seen a picture of Jesus, a, a recreation of who he is? Now, there is this one group, and it was written about in Vox.com, a 2018 report that was published there. The psychologist at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, showed 511 American Christians pairs of photos and asked, which face looks more like God? Now, Daryl, you have those, correct? Okay. So what they did is they, they had these two sets of pictures going back and forth. And they said, well, which one do you think looks more like God? And what they did, they made it kind of grainy, and it's a, a computer-generated image, the first one that's there. If you would go ahead and put that up there, Daryl. And this is what people thought Jesus looked like. Now, when we look at pictures like this, we think to ourselves, nah, I don't think he looked like that at all. Or, oh, yeah, he could have looked like that. Like, for instance, what's missing here? The beard. The beard is missing. Jesus would have had a beard. Now, there are other pictures throughout history. When you go to Israel, you will not see a picture of anyone. 
You will not see animals. If you sit down in a restaurant, you may see painted landscapes on the sides of the walls that are in there, but you will not see a picture of anyone because they consider it idolatry to have that. Even me showing you these pictures, if it was in Israel, it'd be like, why mine? They'd pull out their hair, hair would be on fire. Just don't do that. But we've all seen pictures of Jesus. Now this next one, the head of Christ is... Now, this is the most popular picture of Jesus that are out, that is out there. Over half a billion people have copied this. They, they like this picture of Jesus. And this was created by Warner Salmon. He lived from 1892 to 1968. And every picture that he painted kind of looks like this. And you can look it up online. And that's the image that most people have in line, in mind. Now, I was told, uh, originally, when I saw this picture, oh, yeah, it's a nice Irish Jesus, the Irish Catholics, you know, and they have Jesus up there. But the guy who painted it, he was like from Scandinavia, and he was a Christian here in the United States, the Assemblies of God. And, but this is the most popular picture of Jesus. Then there is the AI-generated picture of Jesus. This is the next one. The, the computer just put together the Semitic peoples and made a composite, and this is AI-generated. This is not a picture of somebody that we know, but this is probably closer to who Jesus was. Now, just as a side note, do you know that there are apps out there now that you can put on your phone, and when you look at your phone, it will take a picture of you, and it will transform you into the most handsome or beautiful person on the face of the earth. And you can look at that, and you can move around, and it stays that same person. I've seen videos where people are looking at their face, and it's this model that's on there, and then they press the off button, you go, Ooh, you know, it, it's just a little different than what the actual picture is. And so the AI generation is going to make it look like a little more nice than it is. Remember, the book of Isaiah tells us that Jesus, he was nothing to look at. And, and so the pictures, and I think this picture is good because it has the beard and short hair. Jesus would not have had long hair. And everybody thinks that Jesus had long hair because that's who he's been depicted. Now we have the true picture of Jesus. You want to show that one? This is the chosen, right? And and the guy, he plays Jesus and the chosen. And he kind of looks like Jesus might have looked. I think he's probably a little taller than Jesus would have been. I think Jesus would have probably been about five foot seven, short hair, a beard. He would have been muscular because he was a carpenter. Now, being a carpenter back then, you didn't have all the, can I call it accoutrements, so to speak, the the stuff for doing a carpentry. I mean, they had beams and logs and they were carrying them and he would have been somewhat muscular, nothing to look at, average looking guy, according to the book of Isaiah. And, and so we have this idea in our mind when we see a picture of Jesus, we either say, yeah, maybe, or no, I don't think so. But remember, all of them are just images and none of them are correct whenever you see a picture of Jesus. Most of the time, 
Jesus is depicted as this handsome man looking up to heaven with the long flowing hair and the chiseled face and the hairline just perfect. You know, that's how Jesus is depicted by most people. Instead of having long hair, Jesus would have had short hair. Instead of having pale skin, he would have had a tanned complexion. Instead of being thin and frail, he would have been masculine and muscular, a strong. He would have been a strong individual. You know, the guys who went to Northern California to cut down the redwoods, they were small guys. They were like five foot six, five foot seven, and they would get on those long saws and go through those big trees, and they were tough and rough, and you wouldn't want to mess with those little guys. Today, we think that the big guys are the strong ones. Those little guys, they, they were strong, and they cut down the redwood trees. And so we want to make sure we keep an accurate picture in our mind of who Jesus might have been but don't let anyone lodge because it's not going to be correct when we see Jesus as he is he will be in all of his glory and it's not going to be like an earthly picture when he reigns here on earth I don't know how he's going to present himself I don't know if he's going to be in all of his glory or he's going to be like the human figure that he was when he was here on earth now, we might have this inaccurate picture in our minds. And Jesus, he was a superior being for sure. God is a superior being. And if you took a poll, and they did in the United States, about this superior being, how many U.S. adults do you think believe that there is a superior being or a God? It is 80% of the people in the United States according to this Pew Research poll, believe that there is a superior being or a higher power, so to speak, out there. Now, I was kind of taken back. How many do you think believe that it is the God of the Bible? It's a little over 50%. 56% of the people in the United States, the adults, believe that God is the God of the Bible. Only 50%, about 56%. 23% believe that God is other than the God of the Bible. So you, you have a large percentage. The rest are atheists, agnostics, not sure uh, if that God exists out there. And we have these concoctions of who God is. We have a picture of Jesus kind of in our mind. We think we know who God is. And of course, I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit here. But there's all kinds of views on who God is. And if you just ask anybody, everybody pretty much has an opinion about God. I've never run across anybody if I start talking about God that, what, what are you talking about? God? Whether it's in the Middle East or if it's in the Far East, if it's in Cambodia or Africa or Mexico or United States, everybody has this idea of God. Then there are those, and I'm going to go through kind of a list here, the atheists. There is no God whatsoever. Usually they're evolutionists. There is the deism belief that people that founded this country, a lot of them were deists. They didn't believe in the personal God of the Bible. Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, those guys, they did not believe like you and I believe. They believe that God set up the universe and went away. And everything is just kind of running by itself. It's a perpetual motion machine. It just goes on and on and on. That's what they believe. Then there's the idea of pantheism. That God and the universe are one, which means you could go out and worship a tree and you'd be worshiping God. You could worship somebody and you'd be worshiping God. You could be worshiping anything, the ocean, the sky, birds, whatever, and you would be worshiping God. This is the 
uh, Hinduistic, um, Buddhists believe, well, Buddhists don't believe that there is a God, but the Hindus believe that this is the case, it's pantheism. Then there's the monotheism. There are three monotheistic religions. There are the Muslims, the Christians, and the Jews. They believe there is one God and he is supreme. Then there's polytheism, that there are multiple gods. And again, some of the Hindus believe this and and Mormons certainly do. Remember the uh, little phrase that as God once was, man now is, as God now is, man may become. And they're polytheists, that there are literally millions of gods everywhere. And they believe, Mormons believe, that they will become gods and have their own planet and multiple wives and children. And they'll go live on that planet. And that's what their glory is, this celestial city. Is that in scripture? Uh, No. Is it in the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and Doctrines and Covenants? Yes, it's in their additional works, which the Bible says four times, maybe five times. You're not supposed to add anything to the scriptures whatsoever, but they are polytheists. They are not monotheists. Then there's the idea of modalism. Modalism, the Jehovah Witnesses believe this, that... Well, I shouldn't say they believe this, but it's this idea that you have an individual... And he shows up as the father and then whoop, changes clothes, shows up as the son and kind of goes back and forth. The Holy Spirit is kind of like uh, energy force, that type of thing. But it's this modalism, modes, comes in different modes. Jesus one day and father the next day, that type of thing. They actually believe that Jesus is Michael, the archangel. And there's rebuttals to that even in their own New World Translation. Then there's the Gnosticism. Uh, They believe that God was never material. Therefore, Jesus could not be God because everything that is material is evil. And uh, there's a whole bunch of teaching with the Gnostics, and I believe that is incorrect. And, of course, the Buddhists who believe there is no God. And then others believe that we created God in our image And we did this because of times of crisis, we need to appeal to something that's greater than ourselves. So all of these different views are out there. And again, the evolutionists, they don't believe that salvation is necessary. They believe in total annihilation, most of them, that when you die, that's it. The Buddhists believe that you go to be one with the universe. There is no God. You become one with the energy which is out there. Now, which one is correct? Of all these different views, which one is correct? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible talks about a trinity. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses will tell you, the word trinity isn't even in the Bible. The word Bible is not even in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible, the English Bible. It is in the Latin Bible. But they'll say there's not a rapture because the word's not in the Bible. No, the concept is taught. Just like the word trinity, the trinity is taught Just like we believe in the Bible, that there is a Bible, the Bible is taught, but the Bible doesn't say this is the Bible. It it doesn't say that. It's because it's a compilation of many books put together. The Bible does teach that there is one God. Verses Deuteronomy 6 and 4, 1 Corinthians 8, 4, Galatians 3, 20, 1 Timothy 2, 5. There is just one God. And there's a slew of other verses that tell us God is one. There is not more than one. The Trinity, which is God is one, but the Trinity consists of three persons. This is all the way through the scripture. If you go back to creation, remember the uh, singular form of God, Eli. 
it's Elohim, which is plural for gods, is what it means. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And Elohim said, let us, that's first person plural, create man in our image. God didn't say, let me create man in my image. He said, let us create man in our image. There's a plurality there. And they, God was not referring to the angels. He was referring to himself in the Godhead. That's Genesis 1.1. And you can go through lots of scriptures and you will see characteristics of the Father that are equal to the Son, that are equal to the Holy Spirit, and vice versa. Characteristics that are equal to the Spirit or the Spirit has these characteristics, the Son has those, and the Father has those. If you looked up, who raised Jesus from the dead? Scripture says the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Scripture says Jesus would raise his own body from the dead. The Scripture says the Father raised Jesus from the dead. All three of those are claimed to have raised Jesus from the dead. The members of the Trinity are distinguished one from another in various passages. There's lots of places like when Jesus gets baptized, we know that the Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus was there. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. It wasn't a dove, but it was like a dove and lighted on Jesus, rested upon him. So the whole Trinity was there, and they each have this distinguishing um, characteristic, so to speak. They have a personality. Each one has a personality. Each member of the Trinity is God, and there is subordination within the Trinity. The Father seeks to glorify the Son, and the Son always points all glory to the Father, and the Spirit points to Jesus Christ and the Father. The Father is the one who is originating everything. The Son speaks it, carries it out by the power of the Spirit. That is creation. The Father decided to create everything. Jesus said, let there be light, and the Spirit of God created the light. They work in unison. And when you try to think about it, well, how long has God existed? You're putting that in a time frame of time. Time is a characteristic of our universe. God is outside of time. You've heard me say this before. That's when Moses said, well, who shall I say sent me? When it gets to Egypt and you tell me to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, who shall I say sent me? And he says, I am. It doesn't mean I was or I will be. It's I am. I exist now here, but there is no time. And that's hard for us to comprehend, but God exists outside of time. So if you say God existed for all of eternity, now that's a time frame that you're referring to. He just was. He was there. And he goes, I'm going to create height, with depth and time. He's going to create those things. And so he just existed and he stepped into time. Now one characteristic of God is that he is eminent. He is in and working through his creation. This is the opposite of what the deists believe. The deists believe he is transcendent. He is outside of this universe and not interacting with anyone in the universe. He is gone. He is not existing here. I believe he is both transcendent and he is imminent. He is here with us as well as being far above us outside the universe. So there are different tasks of the individual members of the Trinity. As I previously said, the father 
He dictates what goes on. He says, this is what we're going to do. Jesus says, I will do it. And he speaks it, whatever it is. And he carries it out. He's the one that came and died for us. He was the feet and the hands of God the Father. And by the power of the Spirit which was in him and is in all of you who believe, God carries out his will by his power. It is the Spirit of God who is over the church, who is teaching everyone, who is enlightening us. And he speaks just like Jesus speaks and just like the Father speaks. And so how do you describe the Trinity to somebody who wants to understand the Trinity? Well, you're trying to focus on something where you have the infinite trying to be described by the finite. And it always falls short. You just can't do it. The way that you can relate this, sometimes I I get crazy and I listen to physicists on YouTube and I I like to hear what they have to say and they're talking about the different dimensions and they say, you know, the first dimension, it could be just a line and you could be a dot on the line. That's the first dimension. The second dimension is you can have a plane and you can be Mr. Flat and Mrs. Flat in the plane, but you can't perceive anything outside the plane. You can only see it in the plane. And if a ball was to fall through the plane, you would see the circle that starts from the dot, goes wide and goes back into a a little dot that's what you'd see but we live in a fourth dimensional universe some people say fifth but certainly it's a fourth dimensional universe and we can see objects in three dimensions well jesus is beyond all four dimensions and we can't even imagine what that is like and we're trying to describe it'd be like trying to tell the people in the flat plane mr and mrs flat what a ball is and all we can do is show them the dot the circle that widens and the dot that falls through the plane. That's all we can do. They don't have the capability to understand that. And so we come up with little illustrations. We try to describe God. Maybe you've heard this. An egg is like God, an egg. Because you have the yolk, you have the white, and you have the shell. But they're all the egg. Well, no. Uh, You would have to have the yolk being part of the white, being part of the shell, and they all have to be one. Another one would be water. You have three states of water. You have ice, you have water, liquid, and you have the gas of water, the H2O in the gas form or steam. Well, that falls short as well uh, because you have solid block ice. That's the Father. And you have Jesus, which I think water more relates to the Spirit than it does to Jesus. And you see the confusion there? Uh, One that I think it's a little better, but it still falls short, is paint. You go to Home Depot and you say, I'd like a gallon of puce. And they go, oh, puce. Okay, we can do that. And they grab the base and they put the base under the color and you get the little uh, squirts of the coloring in there and then they mix it all up. It's all paint and it's all uniform all the way through. I think it's a little better, but it still falls way short. If somebody heard me say, you related God to paint, you know, well, How are we going to describe him? We can't describe who he is. We just know that there's three. They are all equal as far as essence is concerned. But there is a hierarchy where they are subservient. The spirit points to Jesus. Jesus points to the father. The father glorifies Jesus by the power of the spirit. They are all one. They are one in spirit and in purpose. And Jesus wants us to be like he is one with the Father. Now, they've come up with diagrams on this to try to describe 
Well, how do you understand the Trinity? Do you have that diagram, Daryl? If you look at that, you have the Father at the top, the Son on the left side, the Spirit on the right. They are all God. But the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son. They are able to act independently, but again, they are all of one essence. Now, I don't think I need to tell you that the Father is God, right? It says that several places in Scripture. He will call out to me, you are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation. Psalm 89, verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have these images of the Father being God in Scripture. And of course, Jesus being God, uh, Titus 2.13, why will we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Romans 9.5, for those of the patriarchs from whom is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that word logos is substituted for God, and that was for the Greeks who understand that the logos was the creative principle behind the universe. First John 5.20, we know that it, Jesus is called God there. We know the book of Revelation, Jesus claims to be the I am, the first and the last, the beginning of the end. And so all of those verses tell us Jesus is God, he is deity. But how do we describe God? Well, we have the picture of Jesus kind of in our mind, not exactly what's up there, but we know he was a human being. We have this idea that it is a transcendent. He is a transcendent being in three persons. We get that, but we don't have the full picture of who God is. And so what we do is we come up with propositional statements about God. They are declarative statements. For instance, God is love. Now, if you try to focus on that and understand what that is, it's like, oh, there's a, you're going to go down a well. If God is love, well, what is love? And you start digging to find out what love is, and you can never reach the bottom of the well. Now, this, was, this has always been a problem. And you guys know, well, you want to show me the next picture, Daryl? Do you know what this is? Yeah, somebody said it. It's a Picasso, right? Pablo Picasso, uh, when he started out painting, he painted whole. You know, it's like you could understand what was there. When you look at this first picture, you're going, this, this is kind of fragmented. Show the next picture. This one shows it a little bit better. You see how the picture there of this individual is fragmented? When he viewed God, and I've talked about Pablo before, but when he viewed God, we can only understand God in propositional statements. We can't have a full understanding of who God is. So if somebody wants to know who God is, we give them these tidbits. It's like pieces of a puzzle. And, but they don't fit together just right because we don't fully understand what is going on like with these pictures. For instance, when God speaks, well, how does he speak? He can speak through a donkey. He can speak through his word. He can speak through the prophets. And in this particular picture, you see the mouth. 
It's like, well, he speaks in several different ways. And if you look up the makeup, the character of God, you know, what's the character of God like? Well, God is just, God is kind, God is good, God is love. All of those things in the character of God, they're just fragments. We can't even fully understand all of those things, the full justice of God. We can't even understand why he is just or how he is just because we don't fully understand his character. And so Pablo Picasso started painting his images because he thought God is fragmented, which is correct in our understanding God is fragmented. We, we look at Jesus and Jesus said, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But even trying to comprehend that, now wait a second, you are, back in the day, they were said, you're a guy, you're a man. You claim to be God. Of course, they want to stone him because he did claim to be God. Many people out there say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, he did. And that's why they wanted to stone him for it. And, and so to get our understanding of who God is, and especially the Holy Spirit, all we can do is get fragments and put them together. And they're not going to fit just right. But Scripture does tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Now we see but a poor reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. So not only will we know each other, but we will know God not in an infinite sense, but we will have our understanding greatly broadened of who God is. We will have enough understanding where we will have a personal relationship, seeing him face to face. Now, how big is God? We're going to be with God forever. He's going to teach us forever. The knowledge will never stop being dispensed to us. His glory will never end. It will continue forever. The fellowship will never end. You know, when the new heaven and the new earth comes along, and I presume there's going to be a new universe, which is out there as well, and the earth that we're going to be on, I believe it's going to be much bigger than this earth. It could be the size of Jupiter. It it could be bigger than that. I don't know. The laws of this universe are going to be completely changed when we are in that new heaven, which comes down, which is about... 13 to 1500 miles square or uh, like a pyramid it's going to come down that's going to be our dwelling place that's going to be our house and it's going to come down and rest on the earth the new jerusalem and so everything is going to be completely different and when if god wants to create something new a whole new thing it's just going to go on from time to time because we're going to going to exist in a linear fashion you know from one step to the next i don't know how time is going to play into that But God is just going to continue forever. And what's he going to do way beyond that? Well, what did he do before us? That's a great question. I have no idea what he did before us. Was he just like, "Mm," just hang I don't know what he was doing. Did he create an infinite number of universes before he got to us? We have no idea. Is that what he's going to do in the future? We have no idea. That's how big he is. You know, just you look at the smallest thing which is out there, the microscopic elements that are out there, the quarks and neutrinos, and then you go out in the universe and it's so big for all intents and purposes, it's infinite. And we look at these two things and we go, wow, this is just incredible. What about the Holy Spirit? How, how do we describe the Holy Spirit? Again, it's going to be in fragments. And so I'm going to go through just these bullet points. I may read some of the scripture, may not read all of them. I'll give you references. 
But this is what the Holy Spirit does. And as I go through this, the Holy Spirit is a person. He lives in us. He speaks to us if we are listening. If we're not listening, he does not speak. Or he may speak to us when we are not listening and we choose to ignore him. I hear that, but I'm going to ignore that. But he dwells in us. Now, how is that possible? I have no idea. The same spirit that's in me is in you and is in all believers at all time. And you can go anywhere and God's spirit is there. So what does the spirit do? The spirit fills people, comes into them. In the Old Testament, this was something that was not permanent. It could be temporary where the spirit rested upon somebody, sometimes very rarely inside But then the spirit would always leave or have the ability to leave. He promised that the spirit would never leave us. In Exodus chapter 31 verse 3, it says, And I have filled him with the spirit of God with skill and ability and knowledge and all kinds of crafts. And this refers to Oholiab and I forget the other guy's name. That They were given the uh, work to fashion the tabernacle, which we will see the mock-up of in Timnah when we go to Israel. The spirit also speaks. Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. And of course, we just read in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I don't know how this happened. If the Lord put the words into one of the prophets that was there and the prophet spoke it, I don't know exactly how it took place or they just heard the voice. I don't know, but God is able to do that. The Spirit moved people. We know that uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, when Philip was witnessing to him and all of a sudden picked him up, translated him, transported him to another place, just he went to the next place over there. God does that, picks up people and he moves them. This is both Old and New Testament. Um, Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2 says, As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. So imagine you're just sitting down and all of a sudden, you, whoa, you just come right up and the Spirit of God did that. And there's several examples in the Old Testament of that. The Spirit indwells people. The people who our believers today are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And we have this promise that he will never leave or forsake us. The Spirit created. Uh, John Job chapter 33 verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. And so it's the Spirit that animates us. And when the Spirit, our spirits, depart from the body... The Spirit is still with us. The Spirit is in us. That's kind of strange to think about that. Our spirits leave our body, but the Holy Spirit is still part of us. It's not like the Spirit departs from us. Then the Spirit can be rebelled against. Psalm 106, verse 33. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. The Spirit rests on people. Uh, For instance, the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of understanding, of counsel, of power, the Spirit of knowledge, and the the fear of the Lord. That is Isaiah 11, 2. The Spirit is able to rest on people and give them incredible insight. Then the Spirit gives rest. 
as well. Isaiah 63:14. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. He can provide for us peace on the inside. The Spirit can be grieved. Isaiah 63:10 says, "Yet they rebelled and grieved his holy spirit, so he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them." So the spirit, we think in human terms, like grieved, we suffer loss, or one of our children did something that just caused them no end of pain, and we grieve for them on the inside. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit is eternal. We know the Godhead is eternal. Hebrews 9.14 talks about that. The Spirit counsels. John 14, verse 16, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So if we ask for wisdom, the Spirit will tell us. He will either give us a verse from the Bible or he will speak to us directly. The Spirit is good. Nehemiah 9.20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. The Spirit is holy. Uh, Do not cast me, Psalm 51, verse 11, from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And several times you see in Scripture the Holy Spirit or in King James, the Holy Ghost. The Spirit is omnipresent. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He, he is everywhere. There is nowhere that you can go where God is not there. Everything that exists, God created. And people want to get away from God. You can't get away from God. Even in the future Gehenna hell, God knows what's going on there. He is present. We will forget. We will forget about that, but God will not forget. I don't think God will ever bring it up to us. But he will still be there. He will know where that place is located. And the Spirit intercedes. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I think that sometimes people mix this with the gift of tongues and say, see, you you get those groans going. And I, I think that's a misapplication of the passage there. The Spirit reveals. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. So he gives us mysteries. He gives us the understanding of those mysteries. One of the mysteries is the rapture of the church. That was a mystery. Another thing that was a mystery was the church. The church was a mystery. It wasn't talked about in the Old Testament. Then the Spirit sanctifies, sets apart. Of course, I already talked about that in Acts chapter 13. The Spirit seals. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 30 of Ephesians chapter 4 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The Spirit testifies. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit is omniscient. He knows everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I, I just read that to you. Nine has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. The Spirit comes from heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. We have the Spirit empowers, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Spirit convicts, John chapter 16, verse 7 through 10. 
the Spirit gives life. First Peter chapter three eighteen. Uh, the Holy Spirit is omnipotent. He is the power of the Most High. He is the one that actually did the creating after Jesus spoke it into existence at the command of the Father. So the Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son. Uh, the Spirit teaches, testifies. Uh, we ha- can have fellowship with the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit can be lied to. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. And of course, we know that Jesus, or excuse me, the Spirit speaks. The Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all took part in creation. Now, there are several other things. He indwells, he seals, he, he fills, fills us, he baptizes us. All these things are the acts and characteristics of the Holy Spirit of God. He is a person. If anybody comes up to you and says, no, the Holy Spirit is a force, like Luke, use the force. No, there is no force like that. God is all-powerful, but they are one. All three, it is a trinity. So after they had prayed, verse 3, going back to Acts, after they had prayed and fasted, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so Barnabas and Saul were sent, ordained by the Holy Spirit to go do their work. You have the Spirit of God if you understand what salvation is and have received that gift. So these things, these are doctrines from the Scriptures. This is a teaching for us that we can understand who God is. We don't have to fall into the trap of buying in what the world thinks of God. You know, AA. Um, AA has done a lot of good for people. It usually it's a shifting of addictions to coffee and to cigarettes rather than drugs. I get that. Uh, originally, things like that were called a disease. You know, that came from uh, Mr. Wilson who wrote out the 12-step program while being in a trance. He was a necromancer. I don't think it's Christian at all. I've had people get mad at me for pointing out these things. And one person even left the church said, how can you say that it's done so much good? And I said, well, you know, the guy who wrote the program was a necromancer. He was getting in touch with demons to write it. And what do they talk about? A higher power, whatever that is. And I've heard people say, well, it could be a dolphin or it could be the ocean. And and I would get some guys work for me and I would tell them it's Jesus Christ and you can tell them that in the group when you talk say the higher power is Jesus Christ and there's none other like him and of course they would get ridiculed by the people in the group and but that's the way it is if we explain who God is who the Holy Spirit is who the Son is who the Father is you're going to get pushback but that's what the scripture says and God wants us to have proper doctrine in these things so I've given you the Holy Spirit in a fragmented form. We can't fully understand who he is, but when we get to heaven, we will have that knowledge of who he is. We'll have an intimate relationship with him. Now, what we're going to do at this point is we're going to receive communion and Patty's going to come up and we're going to sing a song. And Pat, I would ask you to come up and, and pray. Once we finish the song, Pray. Uh, Pat will maybe give you a word or two. Uh, and then... I want you, I think you guys know the routine. We will come up the center and you can grab the bread and you can grab the cup and go back to your seat through the outside and sit down, kind of file back in and just kind of wait as we're singing the song. And while we're singing the song, we're, we're doing this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. So I would focus on him. Maybe 
pray and ask God to give you more wisdom and insight, maybe to forgive you your sins. Just have fellowship with him by the power of the Spirit. And we will remember the sacrifice that Jesus uh, went through with so that we might have fellowship with him. So uh, if you'd take down the center lights and we'll sing a song here.